It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And can I start by wishing uh, each and every one of you a very happy new year. And I know we're in the middle of January and it might seem a bit late to be wishing you a happy new year. Uh, But as it's my first day back after uh, a wonderful extended Christmas break where I travelled to uh, Australia uh, for Christmas and uh, New Year. First opportunity to wish you all a happy new year and hoping that Christmas went well for you. The voice, tiny bit croaky, even though it's really on the mend to what it was last week. One of those things, where, you know, when you go away and you pick up a bug um, and what often happens is you're exposed to bugs that you're not normally exposed to in a different country and inevitably I always seem to be the one in the party that picks up something like I got a really bad strep throat that then led to the bad patch of laryngitis for a day or two but it is, it is certainly on the mend uh, so hopefully I won't be too croaky and uh, everything will be okay between now and one o'clock and thank you to people who are taking time out to send in uh, texts welcoming me back and uh, hoping I had a lovely break and I did I had an absolutely wonderful break uh, in Australia it really is uh, a beautiful beautiful country it was my third visit uh, there and it's deemed it seems the most successful rich economy in the world that incomes are continuing to rise in Australia public debt is low what's amazing about the economy of Australia it's been growing for 27 years without a recession and everywhere you go you'll hear Irish accents or you'll see the county jerseys from all of the different counties and the Irish are doing really well in Australia. Certainly any Irish that I met while I was out and about, they're all doing well. They're living the dream. They're all having a wonderful life because it, it, it is a wonderful lifestyle. The, you know, the lifestyle of Australia, it's quite relaxing. They work really hard and they earn a lot of money, but the cost of living is expensive as well. So I suppose really it is all relative and half of the, of the population of Australia are either immigrants or their children of uh, immigrants. So it's very multicultural. Everybody seems to get on. There's that feeling of everybody getting on uh, with, uh, with everyone. Some people would describe it as one of the best countries in the world to live in. I always like to get home though at the end of it. I like my breaks but I, I, I never mind uh, coming home. And certainly chatting with many of the Irish that crossed my path uh, during my holiday. The one thing that always came out was you can't replace family and any of the ones I spoke to who are talking about moving back or who knew of people who had moved back all say they you can't replace family and it is just so 
far away. For example, on my return trip last Friday, I got back in last Friday evening, we were 35 hours travelling door to door. It's just, if only it was a a little bit uh, closer. But certainly the Irish are doing well over there. But many of them want to return home and hopefully many of them will return home. I mean, the one thing about it is the skills that we're losing to countries like Australia. We know we have a crisis in our medical field here in this country, particularly when it comes to recruiting and retaining doctors and nurses. And so many Irish doctors have gone and are living in Australia. I mean, I was looking this up over the weekend. 300 received visas. That was just for last year alone. And I read a very interesting article over Christmas from an Irish doctor who had lived in Australia for three years and now he's come back and he's back living in Ireland. And he was talking about the basic working conditions. We need to improve the working conditions in the Irish hospitals if we want to get those highly trained Irish doctors that we trained here in this country if we want to get them back here. And he gave the example that and if you were in Australia and an Australian doctor was told they were rostered on for an 11 hour day that that would be very un- uncommon and that Australian doctors would be gasping at the idea of doing an 11 hour day and when this particular doctor was writing this piece that I read he had just received his roster for the week and he was had been given three 24-hour shifts in that one week. And when you think about it, those long hours, the lack of sleep, that's what leads to good doctors making mistakes. And you will—you don't have that type of working conditions in Australia, so you can understand why so many doctors are deciding uh, to go uh, there. And then for people, you know, there's always that pull of returning home for, for Christmas. But for some, they never return home for Christmas. And the reason for it is some will admit that post-festive farewell can be the hardest. And I was thinking as I was making the journey when I was heading out to the airport and going through the airports in the lead up to Christmas, that weekend before Christmas, wonderful sights at the airport of family members being welcomed home. And there's something really special about that week leading up to Christmas. If you're ever at an airport, I get very emotional watching people I don't even know welcoming home loved ones. And there's the anticipation in the arrival halls and then finally the doors open and a loved one uh, comes out and the screams and hugs and kisses and it's delightful but then roll on a week or two when those loved ones have to go home and there are pitiful scenes at all of the airports and for some people in Australia they feel no we won't go home for Christmas because we don't want to have those post-festive farewells they're bad enough at any other time of the year but they seem to be particularly bad uh, after Christmas so if you do have loved ones living in uh, Australia and you've never been able to go there all I can say to you is know that it is a beautiful country with absolutely beautiful people. The Australian people are so welcoming because many of them, of course, are themselves the children of immigrants. But they're lovely, friendly, happy uh, people. The lifestyle uh, is great. So your family members in the main are really, really happy in Australia. But never forget that nothing will replace home and for for many of them that wish and that dream to come back will always always uh, be there uh, but don't worry about them they are all having a, a great great life and while I was away over the Christmas break 
Sadly, there were some deaths that I just want to acknowledge and mention uh, today. I was truly shocked uh, when I heard while I was away that we lost our uh, one of our sports reporters, uh, Jim Horgan. Uh, may Jim rest in peace, who died uh, suddenly over Christmas. I certainly would have spoken with Jim on this programme when we were doing items with rugby. He was our main rugby reporter. He also, of course, reported extensively on basketball. He covered a lot of our council meeting um uh, items uh, as well and it came as absolutely a shock to everybody here at uh, C103 in our sister station 96FM when we heard of the very very sad death of uh, Jim Horgan so I want to extend my deepest deepest sympathies to his wife Mary to his daughter uh, Katrina and his sons Barry Damien and uh, Gary and may Jim rest in peace and then also the news that I suppose a lot of people were expecting because before I left I had heard that little Fionn Doyle from Kildallery who has been battling cancer for most of his life I had heard that he was very very unwell but he did make he did make it through to for Christmas Day and I know the family had held Christmas earlier on in December because they thought little Fionn wasn't going to be around for it but he did make it through and died I think it was um was it New Year's Eve or, or New Year's Day, but really, really sad to hear that. What a brave, brave little boy who put up such a courageous battle. I mean, a battle that no little boy or little girl should be asked to fight, but he fought the great fight. Um, God help him, but he's at least he's out of all of the pain and the suffering that he's gone through since he was first diagnosed with cancer. And Emer and Jack, his parents, just must be utterly, utterly heartbroken. And his sisters, Saoirse and uh, Amy, uh, we think of them uh, today. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Sleep with the Angels, little Fionn Doyle. Coming up on the programme uh, this morning, in a couple of minutes, we're going to be discussing the reopening of the Waterloo Junction. Finally, the reopening of the Waterloo Junction. It has been closed now since June of last year. We had a number of fatal road accidents on that road, mainly tourists coming into the area who were unaware of the busyness of that road and also unaware that that was not the easiest way to get to Blarney, even though the sat-nav tells you it's the easiest way to get to Blarney. And they were crossing a very busy junction and we know uh, we some lives of American tourists uh, were lost. The junction has been closed, as I say, since June. Local people hugely affected by the closure of the junction. So we're going to talk with with uh, how local people are reacting to the news that the junction is to reopen and also to talk about what are the plans for the reopening of the junction. We will speak with the local councillor who will chat to us about the discovery of used needles and medical paraphernalia in the Carriga Line area. Now anyone with children I think are always in fear that if you take your children to a park, a play area uh, are always in fear that they would come across something like this, that they would pick up a needle. Children don't have the sense to realise that a used needle could have all kinds of infections and cross-contamination and all of that and uh, even for an adult if you picked up or you know you, you went to pick up something and didn't realise that there was a used needle there and if the needle you know, you got stabbed with the needle. You just the fear of God would be put into you because you would be fearful if someone had used that needle, if they had hepatitis or some other kind of a, a disease that you could end up picking up. So it's always a worry when used needles are found. So we're going to be discussing what exactly has happened in Carrigaline and uh, is this a first? Has something like this ever been discovered in an area uh, like uh, Carrigaline? Lack of self houses 
for people who are trying to escape domestic violence and abusive relationships. It is particularly acute in rural areas. There was a newspaper item, I think it was last Friday, from the the Times Irish edition where they were looking around the country at the number of women's refuges that were available and safe houses for women. And it is shocking to see that in some counties there's absolutely no safe house available at all. And that includes um, the county of Cork. Now there is uh, a women's refuge in the city but there's nothing in the county. So we're going to be speaking with the West Cork uh, Domestic Violence Group who work with in the main women now domestic violence before we get attacked as we always do to say it's not just women who are the victims of domestic violence. You can have men and absolutely and we have covered that as an issue before but generally speaking when somebody needs to escape to a safe house it is in the main we're talking about women who need to get out of a very abusive relationship they're usually very controlling relationships the women usually have no money so it isn't a case that they can simply just check into a hotel Uh, they need to get away and they need to get away quickly and for many of these women who've been suffering in abusive relationships to actually make that call to say to somebody I need help and most would assume that once they reach out to say to a group I need help they would assume that a place is going to be available for them but to be told at the end of the phone line yes you're doing the right thing in reaching out but sorry we don't have there's no bed that we can or no place where we can send you and your children must be absolutely devastating to the person and then they're probably at the most vulnerable at that time when they decide to leave and I think if they're in a rural area a lot of the abuse um, abusive relationships and people who abuse the abuser they have a tendency to isolate the person and if they're in a very rural area they're even further isolated because there's nobody around to see what is going on and it makes it even more difficult for, for, for people like that in situations like that so we're going to be discussing that on the programme. We're looking for host families to provide a type of respite uh, service and this is for children and adults with disabilities and we'll be finding out more about it and looking for host families here in Cork. Maybe it's something you could do. Maybe you're, you know, The start of the year is always the time New Year's resolutions and all of that and I hope if you have set New Year's resolutions two weeks into January we hope that you're doing well uh, with them but often at the start of the new year you think about doing something and maybe taking up a hobby or just wanting to pay back just wanting maybe you've you know you've had a good life you have time on your hands you feel as a family you can give something back maybe this is something in 2019 that you and your family might consider to be a host family for a child or an adult with a, a disability so we'll look at that on the programme and then Jennifer O'Callaghan of nutritionforliving.ie she is filling in for Annalise Drussell on our nutritional slot today and Jennifer is going to be discussing heartburn reflux and indigestion so if you've got a question with regard if you suffer from heartburn or the dreaded reflux horrible horrible sensation to give you a lying down at night it's usually isn't it when reflux really attacks if you have a question that you would like our nutritional therapist to address get it in 1850 some of your texts already coming in here's an interesting one um, from Phil one Phil that I can identify with I have to say morning Patricia welcome back thank you just to make people aware I had an appointment at Cork University Hospital last week. Headed up to the hospital and went to go into the car park. The car park unfortunately was full. I had to queue to get into the car park and wait until somebody came in, came out. I had to, there was eight cars ahead of me so I had to wait for those eight cars 
to get in before Phil's turn to drive into the car park. There was, by the way, says Phil, a string of cars behind me. I ended up being a half an hour late for my appointment, which then left staff late as well. By the way, it was an evening appointment. Thank you for your time, says Phil. Now, Phil, this is something I certainly mentioned. I wasn't going into a hospital appointment, but I had a, a very, very dear uh, friend of mine, a, a lady died before Christmas. And she was a patient at CUH from around September of last year up to her passing at the start of December. So a couple of times a week I was up and down to uh, CUH. Now, the the weekends when I would visit would be OK, but certainly any time I went on the Monday to Friday visit, generally speaking, it was a Wednesday afternoon. I tried to get up to the hospital and there was one particular day where I timed the length of time from when I got onto the CUH campus, you know, when you turn in from Wilton and you wait for the traffic light to go right, you turn in. So I was onto the hospital grounds and then driving up to the car park to discover a big tailback of cars, got stuck in this tailback of cars because the cars backed up behind me. 40 minutes I waited one day uh, to get in. And I remember actually saying that, saying, goodness, you know, I'm going to visit while I was anxious to get in to visit Uh, my loved one, I was thinking if I was sitting here waiting on an appointment and the time was uh, ticking away. I don't know what, we we might send an email off to the HSE just to see, have they any plans to extend the car park in CUH? Because this obviously is becoming a problem and a situation that is only going to get worse. But you do need to make allowances for, for, for it. If you do have a hospital appointment, you nearly would want to be giving yourself an extra hour to make sure that you can get into the car park, get par- parked up and get to whatever your hospital appointment is. And I don't know, are we just, is there more, are, we, are more of us driving to the hospital? Has this always been, I, I, and it can't have always been a problem because I've been at CUH before and it was only certainly last year, back end of last year that I was up there so much that I started to notice this issue with the car park. Certainly on previous visits, on previous years to the hospital, I hadn't noticed it. I don't know why the situation seems to be getting now worse more than ever because I spoke to one of the parking attendants on the day where I was waiting 40 minutes and I said, God, it's particularly nuts today, isn't it? And he said, go away, girl, it's always like this. So we might get on to CUH and just try to find out, you know, what is causing the extreme backlog of people trying to park at the car park and have they have they any plans? I mean, I don't, they don't, certainly don't have land to build car parks. Maybe they need a multi-storey car park at this stage. But thank you, Phil. And we give it out as a word of warning to anybody else planning a visit to Cork University Hospital. If you have an appointment to make sure that you arrive in plenty of time, not for your appointment, but plenty of time in order to park your car. Cork County Council has confirmed that work is to begin on reopening the controversial Waterloo Junction on the main Cork to Mallow Road. The junction was of course closed last year following fatal road accidents. One of the campaigners to have the junction reopened and we've spoken with him before is back with us on the programme, Anthony Horgan uh, and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Anthony. Good morning Patricia and uh, how are you today? I'm very well. Happy New Year to you and this I'm, you. I'm assuming this is a great start for you to hear uh, this. The junction closed last June. Just to remind listeners Anthony how that has affected what some locals has, has said is split your community. Yes that's right they have but look it was closed 
in the want of a better word, saying it illegally, and and, and without giving us any notice. But after a long campaign, they are now opening it up with a left in, left out. It'll be starting soon. But not everybody will be 100% happy with that. So our campaign will probably be continuing on after that again. You want it permanently opened back to the way it was? Well, open safer than the way it was, because like the, we accept that the better signage and better road markings will have to be put in at the junction if they're going to open it up fully. Like, but but the way to say to open up the way it was would probably be wrong. Like you know, but but opened up with better signage and safer would be the way we, is what we would say. Now, local people, you you led a strong campaign to get yeah. the council to reopen the junction. Did you have a lot of meetings with them? Did they listen to your concerns? The council never met us once. They they only the the, the, the city the executive of Cork County Council only spoke to our uh, representatives to our councillors, and they had to con- they had to deal with us. The council actually the council executives refused to talk to us at any stage during our campaign. Did they let you know for the plans to reopen the junction before the announcement last Friday? They did indirectly. They informed our um, local representatives who sent us on the information via email probably the day before they made it public. Okay, and the left-in, left-out option, is it better than nothing at this stage? Would that be your view? Yes, it is a way better than nothing. That will keep most people happy and it returns access to our um, to our um, to to our junction and brings us back in in line and and restores access between Waterloo and Whitechurch again. So that's that's a good thing that it's opening up. It has to be seen as a good good thing. But I mean, it's not full full access. So we're going to have to continue talking to the council as best we can for that. And what effect has the closure had on on people who live in the area? As, as you probably know, it has created extra travel for everybody to get to Whitechurch and home from Whitechurch. If you live in the uh, in the Waterloo area, and for the people like myself who go down to Waterloo occasionally, it has meant a little bit of extra travel for us as well. Which which is is you know an inconvenience. Yeah. And ultimately, what? What do you and other local people believe is the solution to the Waterloo Junction? Um, well, you see, like I suppose like the M20 is coming down the road at some stage, but that could be five or ten years down the road. But in the meantime, the, the, what we would see as the ultimate solution would be a safer full opening of the junction. That would be our ultimate aim. With what? Proper signage, proper, proper road layout? signage, road layout, proper management, you, 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 and good engineering on behalf of the council. Get it done. Yeah, John in, in Castletown Roach, I don't think you're going to like John's views. John feels it's a bit of a waste of money because he's citing what you mentioned there, the M20, the Cork to Limerick uh, motorway. Is it not a waste of money uh, reopening this junction when we know that there's a motorway uh, coming down the track? But oh God, John in Castletown Roach, how long are we going to wait for that motorway? Well, I think John now doesn't it like like uh, if John lived in the area or knew the area, uh, like he would not have that opinion. But if you don't live in the area, you'll have an opinion that that's a waste of money if you go if there's a motorway going to come. But I mean to say, look, you can't take people's access off them and shut them down, and then 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 tell them we're not going to do anything for you. That's not the way people live and work in this world. I mean to say, 
if Cork County Council got away with closing the Waterloo Junction, the question I'd ask is, whose junction is next? Well, that's interesting because the listener says, Patricia, the left in, left out isn't of much use to commuters coming from the Mallow side. What about all the other junctions on the N20? Just last Monday, I saw a bad crash at the Bottle Hill Junction, says this listener. That's right. You see, see, there's loads of junctions on the Mallow Road, which, which obviously coming onto a road like the Mallow Road is an exceptionally busy road these days. According to our our estimations and our our calculations, it's probably even the road isn't suitable for the amount of traffic that's travelling on it. So, so, like, it creates a problem then, like, for junctions when people are trying to get out. But I I totally understand, like, like left in, left out will will probably be a great help to 60% of the people who are using the junction. Yes, it could create a problem for people coming from Mallow to get back into Waterloo, but if you're coming from Mallow to get back into Waterloo, an extra two-mile journey down to Blarney and back up isn't too much of a strain. But if you're coming from Waterloo and you want to go to Whitechurch to collect your children from school, an extra two miles into Blarney and two miles back up to an extra two miles into your journey come back up to Whitechurch is four miles, and you might do that two or three times a day. Which families have been doing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, like, like you, there's lots of different people with lots of different views on, on the junction. And I can see where someone who's outside the community would say, that's a waste of good money. But I mean to say, like keeping this junction closed is a waste of an awful lot of people's time and money that live in the area. Jim in Rathgormack says the junction should remain closed. More accidents will happen now on that stretch of road. Mark my words. Jim in Burnford says, I thought they were going to put signposts for Blarney saying straight ahead. All I see is a tourist signpost at the side, side of the road. It's not very clear and it certainly does not stand out. Do you know anything about signage and what were the plans for signage, Anthony? Well, uh, from what I've seen of the uh, the plans, there will be better signage saying no right turn and Blarney straight ahead. But they, they did have those signs up there previously, but the council took them down a few years before, about a year before the accident happened. Another listener by text says, why not put a roundabout at that junction? Has that suggestion been looked at? Um, you'd have to ask the council engineers that one. Like, like They're not willing to to put anything on the road that would slow down the flow of traffic and around the road would would slow it would absolutely it uh, it would okay so the works we're told will begin the end of this month and expected to be completed early February is that the plan okay yes yes that's what we've heard so to be it's actually quite it won't be too long a job at all they should be finished within two to three weeks yeah there isn't a lot of work to be done sure there isn't no, and actually the first set of plans that they did their own safety auditors actually rejected them and they had to come back with a second set of plans uh, which they came out with in the last couple of weeks and that that was all um that was all that that was all approved then because they did, they had a safety audit and they are now happier with their new plans from what we can make out anyway. Okay. So you welcome the left in, left out option, but do you reckon the campaign doesn't end? Yes, that, that, that would be one way to look at it, yes. Okay. We are very happy with the left and left out as a start. We're looking at that as a battle won by us, but the war has not been won yet. <laughs>
<laughs> fight and talk, Angie. Fight and talk. All we're right. Not, we're not we're not fighting too much now, but we are we, we, we are continuing our campaign. Okay. All right. We we will no doubt then talk again, Anthony. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for the call. Good morning to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Anthony Horgan there. And Marie in Mallow says, interesting that you're talking about the Waterloo Junction. I would be interested in hearing the views of people listening to your programme this morning about the Drumahan Junction, also on the Cork to Mallow Road. I feel with an increase in traffic, this junction has become particularly dangerous. Do they need to change the layout of the Drumahan Junction? Have some kind of roundabout or something uh, something like that? It is becoming so dangerous with cars chancing their arm, pulling out in front of other traffic. And then you have the cars who are pulling out, going left to turn down the road off the main road and heading back, coming out of the Drumahan Junction and heading towards uh, Mallow Town. Very, very dangerous junction indeed. And that's the point Anthony is making. While this is the Waterloo Junction, it got closed and now they're looking at left. Just the one option of left in, left out is the option that they're going to do. Will will the same happen on other junctions? Um, I suppose the, the difference is that the Waterloo Junction, we had those... Uh, fatal road accidents. I don't know if there's been that, if there was, God forbid, there was accidents. I mean, the listener said they saw a bad accident in Bottle Hill. Um, If there was bad accidents where people were were killed and you wouldn't want that, but it seems to be. But if that happened, one would wonder then, would they look at the layout again and maybe do options like that where they close the junction or go for this left in, left out. Ultimately, what we need, which what a number of people, including Anthony, has said is we need the M20. But uh, we've been talking about that for 20 odd years or more and have a sneaking feeling we certainly will be talking about it for the next 10 years before that's uh, fully open. We can't really wait that long. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Now, we dealt with the issue of dumping across the first few weeks of the new year on the programme. And today, another example, this time from Carrigaline. Councillor Seamus McGrath joins me with more on this. Good morning to Seamus. Good morning, Patricia. And a Happy New Year uh, to you. Now, from the pictures that we've seen in last Thursday's uh, Echo, uh, it looks like used needles and medicine boxes were dumped in an area of uh, Carrigaline. The used needles, that's the real worry here, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It certainly is. And I suppose it does present a very serious public health issue. And so I suppose this issue was brought to my attention uh, via the journalist, actually. Um, whoever noticed the material on the side of the public road contacted the Evening Echo, and the journalist contacted me as a local councillor to see if I was aware of it, um, and I suppose just to look for a comment on it. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't aware of it. Um, and I suppose my immediate reaction was um, whether or not the enforcement section of the council had been made aware of it and we're, we're out investigating the matter. So I took it upon myself to, to report the issue um, and the way the section did come out, they did locate the material and they did follow up on an investigation. Um, and as I understand it, that investigation, um, I suppose they had limited space within that because they said there wasn't any real evidence um, as part of the material they found. Um, but look, to go back to your original point, absolutely, I suppose we, we all know we have a continuing litter and the waste and dumping problem across the county um, and indeed the city. But when you see medical waste, uh, waste which is potentially very hazardous and presents a public health um, concern, then I think we do have to step up our activities in this area 
um, it is quite serious. Um, you know, this was discarded in a public place, um, and that's something which I think uh, must raise alarm bells for all of us. Do you know if it was the first time needles have been dumped in, in Carrigaline or that you've heard of needles being found in Carrigaline? It is the first time I've come across medical waste being dumped and, and discarded needles. Um, however, I would say I was aware of an issue as well where materials were washed up um, on the shoreline um, yeah. in, in, in other areas in Lower Harbour. Um, I think from recollection there was some washed up in, in Passage West, for example, and there was some washed up across the water um, in the Rushbrook area. So... Uh, and again, at the time, there was an investigation, but it can be very difficult to trace the materials. Obviously, people are quite, unfortunately, careful about when they dispose of these these items, uh, careful not to leave a trace, and that, that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, so it isn't the first time we've come across medical waste, and that really is a, a serious concern. Now, at that time, I did follow up with the waste section, and again this time, uh, and I think it's something that um, the waste authorities are going to have to redouble their efforts on and maybe engage with the HSE and engage with um, health professionals and so on just to maybe tighten up on the whole rules around the disposal of medical waste. I'm not for a second suggesting the HSE or medical professionals are doing this, but obviously there is some uh, there is some crack in the system where some individuals are doing it um, and we just need to tighten up on that. And then looking at, you know, illegal dumping and, and litter in general, I mean, when John Paul was on for me last week, he was telling me that the, there was a number of calls to the show from people saying we need more enforcement when it comes to illegal dumping. Uh, the local authorities perhaps need more resources. We need to look at things like higher fines. I mean, I'm sure you would agree with all of those comments coming in from listeners. Absolutely would. And you know, we had our budget meeting only a couple of months ago in the county and we made certainly made the case that we need to step up our activities and enforcement. I suppose, Patricia, if you look at it, the county council, and this is replicated across the country and other local authorities, we spend a huge amount of money on cleaning up waste, you know, and reacting to, to the problem of waste. We do need to rebalance that in a way that we are trying to prevent the issue first, first off. So there has to be more resources put into, I suppose, number one, education, trying to raise awareness of why this is utterly unacceptable to dump waste, particularly waste of this nature, but any kind of waste. Um, and, and, and also, there does need to be a character and stick approach here. There does need to be enforcement as well. Uh, and like I am sorry to say, we do not have adequate resources when it comes to enforcement. Uh, the little wardens that are on the ground are very, very stretched, um, and we need to set that activity up because um, there are ways and means of catching people doing this. You know, we are now living in an era where there's great technology, there's CCTV, you can have covert surveillance and so on. So we need to put resources into it. And uh, my own personal view is why you need to pursue a twin twin track approach in terms of education, awareness and doing all of those positive things. You also do need to get out there and catch people who are doing it as well. Because you, you, you've got a really good Tidy Towns group in, in Carrigaline. Absolutely. A, a fantastic Tidy Towns group and they've done huge work for the area in association with the County Council in terms of you know, improving the overall appearance of the area, the public realm of the area and so on, and doing the day-to-day cleaning up and, and tidying up the, the whole area. Um, and it, it's very disheartening for people such as themselves and volunteers and indeed the council workers who are regularly, you know, engaged in this area as well. Uh, just to regularly see there is a very small minority of people out there, unfortunately, who think it's acceptable to dispose of their waste in this manner. And as a society, we just need to constantly, I think, raise this issue, doing what we're doing this morning, debating this issue to try and raise more and more awareness about it 
um, but we also need to, the authorities need to be properly resourced to tackle the issue as well. Yeah, and it always gets to me the amount of money that the the local authorities, the council has to pay cleaning up this rubbish, uh, pardon the pun, but that's a waste of resources. That money could be so much better spent. And that's the point we've made at budget, budget meetings, you know, of course, when there is waste in a in a town or in a village, you do have to clean it up. We all accept that, but we need to tilt the balance nicely and put resources into you know the whole prevention of waste and yeah. prevention of getting you know trying to um, trying to get the awareness out there. As I said, that it's totally unacceptable, but equally that if you do it, there's a risk of being caught. Okay. Um, and I don't necessarily think people feel there is that risk at the moment. I think they feel they can do it with impunity, um, because the county is so vast and it's so difficult to police. But if we put extra resources into it, and if there are a few high-profile pro- high cases where people are actually caught, brought before the courts and fined, I think that will send out a strong message, and that's what we need to be working towards. Yeah, act as a great deterrent. We leave it there, Seamus. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining thank us you. on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, Councillor Seamus McGrath. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Let me go to some of your texts coming into the programme. Tim says, when I was talking about the warm weather in Australia, who needs Australia? Tim says, I passed a green space in Cove on which the gardening contractor is cutting the grass on the 14th of January. There was no stoppage in growth, so he's dead right to be doing what he's doing. He does a great job all year round. I don't know who they, if anybody knows the name of the gardening contractor working in Cove, out cutting the grass on the 14th of January. There isn't many Januaries where you see people out cutting the grass. Uh, Tim also says in the Southern Hemisphere, there is a well-known rugby writer by the name of Bob Messenger. He's based in New Zealand and he specialises in reporting on the Irish players picked for the Lions are the World Cup, says Tim. Oh, could he be a good old? Could it be good old cousin Bob? I'm after looking into that. I haven't heard of that gentleman before. Thank you for that information, uh, Tim. And there was also a text in. I was a WhatsApp. Where's it gone? It was from Heidi. Happy New Year to you, Heidi. This is morning, Patricia. Welcome back. Hope you're well rested. I am indeed. JP did a great job while you were away. I'd like to ask if there's any news on the dog that was in a bad way before Christmas. Rebel, I think they named it. Said Heidi. So I had to. Get on to John Paul to say, what is it about this dog, Rebel? He started to describe to me the dog's injuries and then I being the animal lover that I am and I'm not able to look at photographs of cruelty to animals in any way. It would be the same with human beings, it's not just animals. But I just, I, I think as I get, and I'm getting older, I'm getting worse. I can't look at any of those or even read the detail around any abuse case. So John Paul did his best to fill me in on this poor little dog that was found, I don't know the full details now, but it was found somewhere in West Cork because it's uh, Rower, the West Cork Animal, Animal Welfare Group that are looking after uh, Rebel and it seemed to have been some kind of a horrendous neck injuries if the dog had been tied up and just left there. God help her old Rebel. Anyway, the update on Rebel is great news, another step on her journey to recovery. Rebel has had her stitches taken out. She's coming around a little bit every day and now has a waggy tail and is happily greeting everyone. Good girl, Rebel, and well done. That's the latest information that we got from Rower, who do just the most amazing work in West Cork. Well done. Keep it up. And we will do a proper update on Rebel. Wouldn't it be great when we find out if they've got a forever home for Rebel as well? And when a dog that has gone through such awful, awful um, injuries like that, that's a dog that deserves a really, really good home. So well done, Rebel. She's on the road to a recovery. Mary says, good morning, Patricia. Happy New Year to you. Many happy returns. On the issue of 
sanitising your hands when you go in and out of hospital. What about our footwear? Look at the dirt we're walking on on roads and footpaths and there's no sanitised mats at any of the hospital doors. No wonder there are infections in these hospitals. We walk on so much dirt and we must bring it in with us, says uh, Mary. I don't know if I've ever seen sanitised mats at hospitals, except I remember the sanitised mats. We had them outside the radio station. Do you remember the time of the foot and mouth and how great we did in this country to keep foot and mouth out and everybody rode in and so many things were cancelled uh, that year and everywhere you went there were sanitised mats. But I don't know if I've ever heard of sanitised mats at hospitals outside of the foot and mouth outbreak. And would it make a difference? And is there any I've, I'm trying to even think if I have even read anything that would indicate that we bring in infection on our feet, um, on shoes and boots and whatever you're wearing. But talking of infections, hospitals are to be given €20 million Euro a year to try to control one of the lethal superbugs, which is now posing a growing threat for patients. There, a three-year plan has been targeted at the superbug called CPE, which was a new superbug for me. I hadn't heard about it before last year. CPE is particularly difficult to treat because, as with a lot of the superbugs, but this one seems to be very nasty, it is resistant to so many antibiotics. Now, CPE, it lives harmlessly in the gut. But it can be dangerous if it gets into the bloodstream and more than half of all patients who develop infections with CPE die either directly or indirectly as the result. More than half. That's a shocking, shocking figure. And of course, as a superbug, CPE poses a particular threat to people with weakened immune systems and the elderly. And one of the reasons why most people do not want to be in hospital or if they are in hospital, they want to get the hell out of there as quick as they can. And didn't we have Jim Daly, the junior minister for older people, advising advising elderly people to keep your stay in hospital as short as possible. Now, this CPE drug, as I say, it only came on my radar last year. I hadn't heard about it before. It was declared a public health emergency in October of 2017. At that stage, cases had grown to 433. But then there was about 5,000 former hospital patients. They were contacted by the HSE last year to be informed that they had shared a space with somebody who had carried the potentially deadly superbug. And I know that frightened a lot of people. And the idea was you didn't need to do anything, but if you were going back into hospital, you were to make the hospital aware that you had shared a space with somebody who had had CPE. So they've come up with, Department of Health have come up with a three-year plan It'll consist of four specific actions, including more screening in hospitals and deficits in infection prevention and control. And control. It also aims to improve infrastructure deficits that make it difficult for hospitals to isolate patients to prevent spread. And this is what is happening. Somebody gets identified as having CPE. They can be in a hospital ward that could have four, maybe six beds Everyone then in that room is in direct contact with the person who has the CPE and hence the spread. It just gets, you know, it starts spreading around the hospital. Everybody in the room ends up getting it or potentially could end up getting it. And then you're trying to isolate more and more people. So if we had more single rooms and isolation rooms that as soon as somebody is identified with CPE, you get them into an isolation ward. Simon Harris is involved 
in this three year plan and he says CPE continues to be a significant threat to the Irish health system and if not contained will have significant implications for health care uh, delivery and uh, there was a recent report out from HICWA and they blamed in insufficient infection control and poor infrastructure for the outbreak that we last when we last spoke about it it was the 16 patients who had it at the Mercy Hospital in Cork now the poor infrastructure at the Mercy Hospital was down to the lack of single rooms with ensuite facilities. The hospital, uh, since then, they've stepped up their screening and their surveillance. And the hospital also uh, says that, you know, while trying to re- reassure members of the public that the problem has been tackled, they're also planning to build 12 new single rooms. And we need more and more of these single rooms in order to try to stop the spread of all of these infections. But in particular, that's a particularly nasty one, a CPE. Um, but as a, going back to Mary's, what prompted me to talk about that was Mary's comment on footwear. Should we have sanitised mats at the hospital door? How would people feel about that? Has anybody seen sanitised mats at hospital doors anywhere in the country or indeed in any other country? Is it a common thing to do? Because you are certainly encouraged as soon as you go in to sanitise your hands. And on the topic of sanitising your hands, a listener, one of my first texts in this morning said, Patricia, Could you bring this up on your show, please? I wonder what people think about the shaking of hands and the sign of peace at Mass. The parish of Mallow have stopped the sign of peace this week, but I was in a neighbouring parish and it still persists. Uh, I'm wondering how what other people feel about it. Now, do I take it that the Mallow parish decided to stop the sign of peace because of the flu that's there at the moment, says there's a number of people have come down with flu, a number of people have been hospitalised with flu. Still time, by the way, if you haven't got your flu vaccine, still time uh, to get that. But there certainly is flu out in the community. And that's a nasty, nasty, nasty infection uh, to get. So I, I take it, and I'm, I'm open to correction, and if somebody can correct me on this, is that the reason that the Mallow Parish had decided this week no more shaking of hands at the sign of peace? When you get to the sign of peace, just turn around and smile at the person uh, beside you. But... Whenever this comes up, we we not just at when there's infection around, when there's an outbreak of flu in an area, we inevitably will get caused, and, and I'm assuming it'll probably happen today as well. There, are, to the, there are still people who absolutely hate the sign of peace, have never liked the sign of peace, don't like shaking hands with strangers. Now, a lot of people will say it is to do with infection, not necessarily the flu, but any kind of infection. You, you know, you're turning around to shake hands with a complete stranger. No, it might necessarily be a complete stranger if it's in your local church. It may be somebody that you know, but, you know, it can also be a complete stranger. You don't know where the person's hands has been. I know over the years when we've raised it as a topic, we've heard from people who bring little hand sanitizers with them in their bag. And after the sign of peace, they'll very discreetly go to the handbag and or a pocket if it's a man and take out the hand sanitizer and sanitize their hand they feel so strongly about it. I've also heard over the years from people who wear gloves to mass in the summer will put on little cotton gloves because they don't when it comes to the sign of peace they don't want to insult the person beside them by not shaking hands but they're so in fear of picking up an infection they don't want to shake hands with a stranger so there's always that dilemma then we've people on the other side of the coin who will say it's a lovely wonderful gesture and hoping that the Catholic Church never decides to stop the sign of peace and people will use the argument should don't we pick up coins every single day if you're out and about in a shop and you're handling coins and you're given you know you're 
giving coins back in your change. You don't know who's been handling that. You don't know what hands, where the hands have been before they've handled that last one euro coin that you've been handed out in your, your change. So, you know, if you're if you're getting that deep into your fear of infection, you know, would you, would you stop handling coins when you're out in uh, public? Anyway, as I say, I don't know why the Mallow Parish has uh, stopped it, but I, I take it, is it to do with... Is it to do with the flu outbreak? Is is that the reason for it? But we use the opportunity to see how people are. We are there still very divided people when it comes to the sign of peace. Are you in fear of picking up an infection, or do you think that it is a wonderful gesture? And long, long may it continue. Or would we be just as nice to turn around and nod the head and smile, or simply say to the person beside you, "Peace be with you," without extending your hand? Donald says, Patricia, what about funerals? And the shaking of hands when you go around and you sympathise with people, which is a wonderful thing that we do. And we do funerals so well in this country. Huge numbers of people uh, turn out at removals and before and after a funeral to sympathise with the people who've lost uh, a loved one. And it's always included in that is the shaking of the hand that if we get to the stage where we start banning the sign of peace, I suppose Donald is asking, will we then also move that to that when it comes to a removal or sympathising with somebody at a funeral, will we ultimately stop shaking their hands as well? 1850 your thoughts and comments welcome. C103 Jobs. We have a childcare assistant is wanted for Cora Childcare Facility. You need to have FeeTech Level 5 in childcare. Nazareth House in Mallow, they're recruiting registered nurses, healthcare assistants, multitask assistants, and they're also looking for an activity coordinator. And a person wanted for an immediate start on a poultry farm near Roscarbury. You'll find all the details of those jobs and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. C103 and the Marketing Institute present their January event on Thursday the 17th. David Thomas, Managing Director of Volvo Ireland, takes the driving seat on the evolution of the Volvo brand and the strategies key to the success of their 2020 vision. Register now at mii.ie. Sponsored by Johnson & Perrot and in association with Cork Chamber. The January Marketing Event, Thursday the 17th at 6pm in the Cork International Hotel with the Marketing Institute of Ireland Cork, the Evening Echo and C103. For C103 photos and more, follow us on Instagram at C103Cork. Figures revealed by the Times Ireland edition show that one third of counties are unable to provide refuge for abuse victims. One of those areas is Cork County. And I'm joined by Marie Mulholland, who is coordinator of the West Cork Women Against Violence Project. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Patricia. Having you. And many happy returns. Now, you've uh, before on this programme and in other forums have highlighted the various uh, services which are lacking in the county when it comes to domestic violence. So I take it you're not in any way surprised by this report? No, not at all. Um, in fact, Patricia, I just um, was involved last year with a piece of uh, research a needs analysis of domestic violence services in Cork and County, um, which we just uh, concluded last year. And um, 
discovered that um, we have, with for the whole of the county, including the city, there are only six, six specialised uh, refuge places for domestic violence. And when I say places, that's for families. It, it could mean women and their children, but there are only six for the whole of the county in the city. Six? Quite shocking. Yeah, six yeah. places? Yeah. For, for now, a city and a county the size of Cork. Exactly. The biggest county in, in the country. And um, and it's uh, that's in the refuge in Coonley. That's the specific domestic violence refuge. And it's the only one of its kind in the whole of the county for domestic violence is, is Coonley. And there are six places there for families. That's it. And how long, uh, generally speaking, is there an average time that people would stay there? Well, to be honest, it's getting more difficult in the sense that... Um, Usually people used to be able to move out within maybe six weeks. Um, but because of the homelessness crisis, yeah. it's harder and harder to place people to find mm. them housing. So what's happening is um, sometimes they're just going from literally from the refuge to a B&B or to a hostel. Um, and certainly we had a case just like that uh, in the latter months of 2018. We actually had managed to get someone into the refuge, but we weren't able to find how well, the refuge wasn't able to find housing uh, and we put her into B&B. I'm glad to say that after that, we did find her somewhere to stay. Uh, we did find her housing. But that that is blocking, if you like, the... Um, the kind of the, the distribution of people uh, are women and children out of refuges is the homelessness crisis. And as you probably know and have read elsewhere, the, our homelessness figures for the country don't include women and children in refuges. I, I always find this astounding. I, yeah. I, I really find this astounding. I mean, they, they, what are they saying? Because you live in a refuge, you have a roof over your head, so you're not homeless. Yep. Yep, it's crazy. Yep. But it's tough enough, Marie, for a woman to come forward to say that there's abuse uh, going on um, and then to reach out and to be told, sorry, there's nowhere for you to go. That must be devastating. Exactly. And that, and what the problem there is that that causes, Tricia, is that it means that women are staying in very unsafe situations in their, in their own homes for longer and longer. So because of the fear of not having, not being assigned a place and the very re- the reality of not, there not being places and maybe not even be able to rehouse even do it in their refuge. So what they're doing is they're staying in these violent situations um, in their own homes and therefore the risk is even greater to them and their children. And so, and so that is, you know, all of this has a, it's like a domino effect. Would Christmas have been a very difficult time for people living in, a, in abusive relationships? Or do, do they get a bit of respite over Christmas from it? It's it's it, what what we have. It's, it's I suppose there's a, there's a seasonal element to this, and um, certainly when I first came into this kind of work, I thought Christmas was going to be our busiest period. But what happens is, it's actually January is the busy period. Women will try and 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 hold things together because the children are off school. It's Christmas. The children are looking forward to everything, and so they try to hold it together as much as possible. So, uh, and they don't want to to show or for the children to witness anything that would be untoward or that would upset them. So, once the children are back at school after the Christmas holidays, that's when we start to get calls, and that's because they've held it together and they can do it no longer. And if a, if a woman rings you today, you know, outlining a very abusive situation uh-huh. and she reaches out and says, I want to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what are I you do? able to offer? What are you able to say to her, Marie? 
Well, well, we'll always try and see if there's any places available at Kyle But I mean, um, apart from that one case just a few months ago, I, you know, I haven't been able to get anyone into the refuge there for, gosh, it must be 18 months because it's always full up. So what what I have at my disposal is I have some money that people just donate and I keep that aside and that will be, and that's just people being very generous and sending us maybe a check at Christmas or if they've been fundraising for something and um, and I keep that and that I pay for B&Bs with that. So I will put someone in a B&B until such times as community welfare can take that on and can pay for that B&B. But it means that in emergencies, I can put them in a B&B and I can sometimes even put them in a hotel if there's, if there's children involved. The difficulty then arises in a place like West Cork, and I think I should see before, Patricia, once the tourist season starts, yeah. it's really difficult because there no are empty yeah. vacant places. I ha- there is a bit of light on the horizon because um, I don't want this all to be negative. Um, before Christmas, I I made a presentation to our uh, council representatives down here in West Cork, to the senior community welfare officers, the homeless persons unit, and um, the HSE. And I I have been putting together, I've been researching what would be involved if we had a safe house in West Cork and how we could fund that, how we could resource it, and how we might actually manage the place. Um, and made that presentation to the individuals from the agencies, and I got absolutely 100% support. So what I'm hoping is, and hopefully it will happen this year, but then you never know, is that the county council is going to try and identify a premises um, for us, um, a two- to three-bedroom house somewhere in the West Cork area. And to be honest, there are only two places it can be. It can only be in either Bantry or Clonakilty because those are the only... Uh, locations in West Cork where we have 24-7 Garda presence and Garda stations so a, a safe house needs to be where, the, the, where there's a Garda support yeah, yep. needs to be safe. Um, and they're going to try and locate that and the idea of premises in those areas and then we're going to try we're, we will run that in partnership with the County Council they'll provide the premises we'll provide the upkeep the maintenance um, and we'll provide the support service to the families that go in there that, that are our clients um, and I'm really, really hoping, Trish, that that's going to happen. How fantastic. How yeah. fantastic would that be? And yeah. let's, please God, hopefully we will talk during 2019 and we'll be oh, able to celebrate I, the I, fact that... I, I the, was singing from the rooftop. Yeah, it will be great. Because yeah. I always, whenever I'm talking uh, with, you know, yourself, Marie, or with groups like um, Yana in North Cork or with mm-hmm. Women's Aid, I'm always very aware of women listening to us who are living in very rural, remote uh, areas we know that abusers use the, the deliberate tactic of uh, isolation. And if you're living in a very rural area and you've already been isolated, maybe from all of your family uh, and your friends, it must almost feel like it is impossible for them to escape. And that's what the abuser wants them to believe. Oh, absolutely. And um, the new domestic violence, though, which I'm sure yourself and your listeners have been reading about, um, now recognises uh, coercive control. And part of coercive control is that isolating of the victim uh, and and cutting her off from her family networks and her friendships and sometimes even from preventing her from going to work or from using the car to get out and about. Um, all That's now recognised as part of domestic abuse. And that would be something that we see a great deal of, especially here in a rural area. Because as, as, as you say yourself, I mean, almost... 
because of our physical geography here, you know, it's done for him. It's done for the abuser, that isolation, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, and I want to say, and I want to be absolutely clear about this, we deal with this all of the time. We can still get that woman's support and help. There are ways that we can do that. There are ways to find ways to meet with her or to talk to her that they still um, that are still maintained a kind of safety around her. We will always come up with some kind of solution, you know. And isn't it better that she, she, that we work with her for that? For that, she doesn't have to find all the solutions herself. We'll do whatever we can to find that solution as well. And it could be she just tells a friend, and the friend brings us, or she tells someone. Like it could be someone, uh, like when she's going get the kids from school or something or allowed to you know, go to some event or, or usually it's to do with children the event that they're allowed to go to but there may be a way of getting information to her and getting support to her um, and we can do that and we'll find a solution some way or other Well done Is it difficult for women to make that first call? Oh it takes such courage such such immense courage and we should never underestimate that um, because First of all, you're making a call and you're you're going to tell somebody that the the intimate relationship that you're in that you've committed yourself to is one that is abusive. And every and, and so many women who make that call think that I, I feel ashamed, feel that they are somehow responsible or that they're stupid because they've let this go on. They actually didn't have a whole lot of choice in it. Um and secondly, also the other side of that is they're really hoping that someone is going to believe them. And what if nobody believes me if I tell them what's going on here? Um, we will always believe her, always. And the third thing she's afraid of, she's afraid of being judged. You know, that she is stupid, that she that she has done something that, you know, she shouldn't have done or that she has maintained the situation that she should have got out a long time. And that's what tends to happen with women who are in abusive relationships. They may have intimated to a friend or a family relative that what's going on in that friend thing. Well, what are you doing there? What are you hanging on there for? You should be getting out. You should be doing this. You should be. You should be. You should be. And she lives with you should be, you know, twenty four seven in her own home. That's um, why people need to be very careful when somebody does disclose to them the language that you use and the support that you're offering. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's what we call um, positive listening. You know, um, that you're listening, that you're affirming everything that she says and what how she feels. So everything should be an affirmation of what she's feeling, an affirmation of, of of her of herself and her identity, because so much of particularly coercive control is about eroding a woman's identity and her sense of self and her sense of self esteem, uh, and making her feel small and stupid and futile. Yeah, I got. I remember one of the first interviews that I, I did on this programme now, which is almost 30 years ago, was with a woman coincidentally from West Cork who was talking about in the abusive relationship that she finally got, got out of. But she spent 30 years in this abusive relationship, had raised her family and, she, you know, protected her children from the abuse. She took all of the physical abuse uh, from this evil, evil man was, was the only way I could, I could describe him. And she kept going on about the shame was one of the reasons that kept her there. She was so ashamed that yeah. the man she had walked <clears throat> down the aisle and married and, uh, and, and I think the first night he hit her was funny enough on their wedding night. And she said it was the shame the absolute shame of it all and what would the, her family and what would everybody else think? Oh yeah, I mean, it's that, um, and particularly that, that age group as well, that 
she's probably had some sense or grown up with some sense or someone has entered you know, you've made your bed, you have to lie in yeah, it. Yeah. You know? That's very you know, kind of very common kind of uh, response. And uh and, and that will force women to stay in, in the corner. Uh, where they are, and um, and that's why it's so important that we learn how to listen, that we learn how to respond in a constructive way that is supportive. Okay, and people can... And Patricia, con- yeah. Yeah. can I just say something? You have been fabulous. I mean, you're just consistently bringing up these issues, and we really, really appreciate um, just the kind of awareness that you've raised uh, on the issue of domestic abuse. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, and anything we can ever do, we're, we're always here for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and your telephone number for, for people listening, Marie? Oh, it's uh, our our office number is 027-538-47. Um, and we also have a free phone number as well. And the free phone number is a little bit longer, um, but it's 1800 203 and I have I always have somebody on the line here from nine o'clock to five Monday to Friday. Okay, and for people in North Cork, the Anna number is oh two two five three nine one five. For the West Cork uh, Women Against Violence Project, one eight hundred two zero three one three six. We will talk again, Marie. In the meantime, uh, continue good luck with the great work that you do at your service, and thank you for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is Marie Mulholland, coordinator of the West Cork Women Against Violence uh, Project. Please, if you're in a situation or you identified in any way with what we were talking about with Marie, reach out. Even if it's just to talk to somebody, the listening ear, just to to be able to tell your story and get the necessary advice and help that is certainly available. Uh, by the way, we are keeping a close eye on the news wires with Brexit and everything that's going down in over in England with Theresa May. And the latest on that is the EU have issued a letter to the British government aiming to reassure them over the Irish backstop. It's the Irish backstop is the one that's causing the most concern across the water. The letter was written by the Presidents of the European Council and the Commission and it insists there can be no renegotiation of the backstop. However, it does say that the backstop is not the EU's preferred solution to avoiding a hard border. They do not wish to see it enter into force and are determined to see the backstop replaced. British Prime Minister Theresa May will now address the Irish border issue in a speech in the House of Commons this afternoon. Uh, and so ends. That's the very latest coming out from England. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven C103. Now the Cope Foundation are launching a home share recruitment drive for 2019. With more information on this I'm joined by Rachel Moriarty who is the home share coordinator with uh, Cope. Uh, Good morning to you Rachel. Good morning Patricia. Uh, And you're welcome to the programme. Now there is a lot of pressure at the moment on the traditional models of respite for people with disabilities with resources obviously lacking in many areas. Is, Is that why You've turned to the idea of home share and why home share is so important. There's that element, but Patricia, there's also the value of what home share is and what it can provide for the people we support and their families, as well as actually somebody who wants to be like a host carer. Um, so I suppose um, what it, I suppose the benefit of home share is that it's a home from away from home experience. It's a community based service that provides short breaks to people in a host carer's home. 
and um, host carers can come from a variety of backgrounds and they can be retired with or without children, single, married or, or with or without a partner. It's a two-way process. The host family gains hugely from the experience of having a person with an intellectual disability stay in their home and the natural family gain from knowing that the family member is being supported and cared for in an inclusive family environment. And I suppose what's exciting is for the people that we support because it, it is a continuing part of the services and it means that it's a community-based service and it's more inclusive, which is part of what we want to provide in Cope Foundation and how we want to provide a model of service. And for people who would like to come forward and be host families, will you give them the training and, and will they require training? Yes, they will. There are a set of processes that will happen, it, that will occur for uh, if somebody is interested in becoming a host carer. But that's what I'm there for. And Patricia, my job is to support people and to go through those processes. There is What is exciting about home share is that it's actually been across Ireland since 1985. And what's great now is in the Cope Foundation, we really want to drive it. So, um, And since 2016, there's been a national report about what are the correct standards mm. and, what, what, and how we would provide training and support would be based on those standards. But the most important and the most exciting things actually is the relationships that happen and the matching and the connection that happens becoming a host carer and for the people that we support. I'll just give you an example um, of, a, of a match that is working really successfully and um, both the host carers and the person that we support are both based in East Cork. And um, the young lady involved, she's, she's in her early 20s and she's supported with us. And she's attending with the host carer now nearly 18 months. Wow. It's, it's really, really exciting. And I'll just give you a brief description of what her mom said. For us as a family, it gives us time to do things on our own and to spend time with, this, uh, with the girl, with the, their daughter's brother. It's also great for their daughter's independence skills. When she goes at home, I often do a bit too much for her. But when she goes to stay with the host carer, she has to do more. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the other thing that the mum said was that a family-based service like home share is much more homely and flexible. And it's about keeping her, as, her, her daughter as independent as possible. And I suppose equally, there's great benefit for the host carers. Um, and, um, for example, the host carer in this, she, she, who lives, she disc- when she discussed it, she has said that she found many benefits for them as a family, that they plan activities more as a family. Yeah. You know, when the, when the person that we, we call them, by the way, guests, okay? So guests, the guests come okay. To stay, yeah. um, they plan more and they spend more time together. So what that she has found, you see, the key about this is the matching. So you get the right person, and you know, with you and your family. So what she says is that when they all are going out together, they like doing similar things, such as walking on the beach, cooking, listening to music. And they really have fun together. And they look forward to their guests coming. They don't see her as having a disability. We just see her as part of a, uh, part of a family. It's it's a win-win, isn't it, it is, um, for, 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 for everyone. And what sort of commitment? Are we talking about maybe a weekend once a month or every couple of months? And that's the thing about home share. That's why it's so great because it's about flexibility and choice. And it's about, you see, what will happen over time is once you're matched, with the, you be matched then you set up with what's the right for each other. So it's not expected to be, it's about negotiation and everyone knowing what will yeah. be right for everybody. So there's not going to be too much of a, an expectation of you as a host carer. Um, it's just agreed and planned together. 
Yeah, so if the family of the guest um, had something on, you know, like a wedding or, or whatever, um, and they, or they needed to get away for a weekend, they could contact their their family. Exactly. Who I imagine almost become like family. They're friendships, great friendships. Wonderful will, will, friendships. Yeah. Really lovely because even in this one now that we're talking about, they've met each other outside of this. You yeah. know? <laughs> and everyone has got to know each other, you know. And um, for example, the host care what she said is I don't think the home share team in Cope could have done a better job. We are becoming so well suited. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. And, she's, okay. and she said it would bring your family together and you've got so much to gain from it. What, anybody listening who they think, yeah, this could be a fish for our family. It's oh, yourself they contact, is it Rachel? That's right. And we have all the information on the COPE website. Okay. And that's COPE.ie. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and again, it's just part of COPE's you know, vision. And COPE has, a, a, you know, the vision of COPE Foundation is... It's your way, it's your life, it's, your, it's the way you to live it. And what we're trying to do is create more choice. Okay, and it's across Cork City and County? That's right, because you know Cope Foundation, we're across City and County. Yeah. We have, as you know, we support 2,350 people with an intellectual disability and our ASD. And we have 69 different locations across the City and County. 69? That's right. It's, huge, it's a huge team. Massive, yeah, it's a and massive organisation. there's over 1,000 staff right now we're a very big organisation yeah yeah. Yeah. and there there is I mean I know I mentioned at the start there is a huge pressure isn't there at the moment on that traditional model of of respite we're never going to have enough respite beds no we're never going to and that's why COPE is creating different ways yeah okay yes we're looking at we're looking at home share but that's only one of the things that we're looking at we're also looking at you know you know Saturday clubs or you know daytime support so we're going across what we're trying to do is be more creative with the services that we have and I, the other thing that we want to be is more inclusive in the community which is what is national policy so it's about making sure that the people we support get community based breaks you know, from their family and that are inclusive for them rather than the, the traditional model of providing support. Yeah, and entire communities will benefit from this uh, as well because everybody gets to know the guest in the neighbourhood or uh, in the local village or in the local shop or the cafes or whatever. Okay, listen, we wish you good luck with it, thank Rachel, and people so can contact uh, Cope Foundation uh, for more. Listen, thank you for that. Good luck Thanks with it. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Rachel Moriarty, Home Share Coordinator with the Cope Foundation. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We spoke with Rachel of the Cope Foundation looking for host families to come forward. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a host family where you offer a type of respite, home from home, home share, as they're call, uh, calling it. Uh, people are encouraged, please, to contact Cope Foundation. If you think it's something that your family might be interested in doing, it, doing why not you know, pick up the phone, give them a call, email them, just find out a little bit more about it. It could be a huge plus to everybody in your family. It has prompted one listener to say, uh, no name on this, to say, my daughter... And then in brackets, who is no angel, attends Cope Foundation in Glasheen. The staff there are pure saints and they treat people with great respect. It's from a Douglas listener. Good to have you back. Says uh, thank you for that to the uh, Douglas listener. Yeah, Cope Foundation, wonderful, wonderful uh, organisation. And thank you for taking the time out to acknowledge it by sending in that uh, text. Now, other texts coming in to us. Hi, Patricia. Does anybody know when the recycling bins will be emptied in Drimaleague? If anybody can give us the information, I'm I'm assuming these are the 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 glass and the bottle, the the 
the the Brink Centre ones is is that what you're talking about? I know after Christmas all of those Brink sites get very filled up because obviously we use a lot more cans and bottles over the Christmas period so it's probably one of the reasons that the bin is fuller than it normally would be at this time of year if anybody can tell us when the recycling bins will be emptied in Drimmer League or if anybody is aware of who's involved with that. Yeah, the bottle banks. Thank you, the listeners straight back in. Quick to Texas, the bottle banks in Germany. Does anybody know why there is a delay? We'll see if we can find out something as well and bring it to you before the close of the programme. Thank you for your uh, text. Now, another listener was on to us earlier to say, uh, Pat, saying, Hi, Patricia, we live in the countryside. What do we get from our local property tax that we must pay every year. I think we get absolutely nothing for it, says uh, Pat. And particularly we don't get anything for it because we live in the countryside. Now, I know I, I tell you, people who live in towns and cities will often question where their money is going for the local property tax. People felt at the time when we were told we would ha- all have to pay it, that they would all be ploughed into local services and we would all see the benefit of it. And a lot of people feel that we don't see the benefit of our local property tax. And of course, the local property tax is very much back on people's radar because it's paid, isn't it, in January? I know if you set up a direct debit, the direct debit doesn't come out until March but uh, if you physically pay it yourself every year, then it's done around this time of the year. And actually, local property tax is making the front page of the Irish Independent uh, today with uh, a piece talking about the local property tax and how the property tax we're paying at the moment. It's based on the house valuation, which was the value of the house just after the economic slump, when probably house prices were at the lowest that they had been for a number of years. Now, we do know that the valuations expire later this year. And for the majority of people, we're all living in houses that are worth more than what they were assessed at when we first paid the local property tax. So that means everybody's property tax, ultimately, depending on what the government and the local authorities decide to do and how much they decide to increase the local property tax by. But for many people it's going to mean you're going to have to pay extra local property tax at this time next year. And some families if they are living in areas where house prices have gone through the roof they could be expecting a hike of about €500 extra on top of what they are already paying. And the Culture Minister, uh, Josephia Madigan who is seen as a rising star within Fine Gael. She wants lower rates of property tax in affluent areas. Now, she happens to live in an affluent area and her own constituency in South Dublin is one of the areas where house prices have hugely increased since we first started paying local property tax. So they are one area that the people living in that South Dublin, her her South Dublin constituency could, yes, this time next year, be paying €500 more than they're paying this year. So Josephia Madigan said, I would like to see a lower rate in areas where the highest house prices are. Residents of South Dublin, for example, should be entitled to reliefs as they could be the ones most affected. Now, obviously, she's been accused of showing phenomenal bias to wealthy people with her proposal, uh, which some are saying will prove to be very divisive. Though this is one well worth watching. I imagine there will be other other. TDs within the Fine Gael party and within the government who would probably be trying uh, to do their own bit for their own areas. You know, they'll be trying to get the the lowest rate they can. But I really think 
how she can expect that people who live in very affluent areas, how she can expect that they should have a lower rate than people say working in, living in working class areas where property prices are lower than the very affluent areas. The very fact that people are living in very affluent areas doesn't always go to say that they're all uh, rich. But in the main, people who live in very affluent areas are generally speaking people who have uh, a bit of extra money. They are the wealthier in society if they're living in these very affluent areas. So you would assume that they should be paying more than somebody in a very working class area. Anyway, we will wait and see. I don't know. I don't know how much support she's going to get for that one. You know, to say that people who live in very wealthy affluent areas that they in some way should get a lower rate seems rather bizarre indeed. We will watch that one uh, closely. We spoke about the sign of peace earlier on on the programme today and that whole issue of when you go to Mass how do you feel about the sign of peace and the parish of in Mallow decided not to do the sign of peace. We're assuming it's because of the flu bug that's out there at the moment trying to stop the spread of the, the flu in case you're at mass and somebody's sneezing and maybe you've sneezed onto their hand and then they're shaking hands with you and the thought of that is quite disgusting I have to say but I'm assuming that's one of the reasons but that then has led as it always does whenever we mention this issue to the whole thing of why do we do the sign of peace at all what others think it's a lovely lovely thing and it should be left in place Catherine says why not turn to the person behind beside you and simply smile and say peace be with you why do we need to shake their hands at all? Catherine says, I was at Mass in America a few years ago and the sign of peace was offered by placing your hands on the person's shoulder. Would this not actually be the same type of offering and be much more hygienic, says Catherine. So you just turn around, I'm trying to imagine, just turn around to the person beside you, peace be with you and the, your hand on their shoulder and they obviously put their hand on your opposite shoulder. You're still making human contact with a person but it certainly would be much more hygienic. I wonder why in America in that particular parish Catherine was that introduced it would be interesting be interested to hear if there's any Americans listening can confirm is that widespread across all Catholic parishes in America that they don't actually shake hands at the sign of peace that they touch each other on the shoulder instead. Audrey says I, I thought says Audrey that the sign of peace was done away with years ago on account of infection. I thought it was done away with by the Pope says Audrey. You never know what people, you never know where people have been, where their hand has been at any time. And then they're extending it out to you to shake hands. Keep safe, says Audrey, one of our uh, listeners. Now, I don't remember the Pope ever coming out and saying a ban on the sign of the peace. I think it is, it literally is left up in, I, I don't even know if it's left up to each country individually. I'm assuming it's left up to each parish, each diocese. And then the, the you know the bishop might offer a suggestion on what to do with the sign of peace. And then obviously if the Mallow Parish have decided to do it, and then we heard a neighbouring parish was still asking people to give the sign of peace. So it must be an individual parish thing. Does the parish council have a say in it? Does the parish priest uh, decide that if anybody knows who makes the decision on whether or not 
a particular parish will stop the sign of peace or not. Let us know. 1850 at 333-103. Somebody says, thanks for the tickets to the pantomime that I won on your show. We had a great night. Good to know. Actually, I couldn't get over that before Christmas as well when we were doing the panto tickets. The number of people that went along uh, to it and said, uh, Cinderella, the Everyman, what a great, great pantomime uh, it has been this year. It, it really was terrific. And thank you for taking time out to uh, text us with that. And I've also been announced, asked to announce by text. Patricia Bingo continues in Butterfield GAA Hall. It's on tonight at half past eight. The prize fund is €1,300 plus there'll be a jackpot of €4,300 in-house lotto. 50-50 draw plus a mini jackpot all on offer. Everybody's welcome and the usual buses will run and that is on tonight. Over to some of your WhatsApps coming in. Michael Sullivan in Castletown Bear. Happy New Year to you Michael and uh, thank you for your kind thoughts. Michael was on to us about Brexit and we have mentioned Brexit on the programme earlier on. Michael says um, thanks to John Paul did a brilliant performance standing in for you. Thank you for that Brexit. The shenanigans says Michael love that word shenanigans that are going on in Westminster are just unbelievable after two years all their amendments are not going to stop a no deal Brexit the Commons cannot unilaterally do that the only way a no deal Brexit can be stopped is to accept the withdrawal agreement are other side of the coin is cancel Brexit. This idea that the House of Commons is taking a no deal off the table is a complete delusion that simply cannot happen. They have to accept the deal or else they have to cancel Brexit. Otherwise, it automatically becomes a no-deal Brexit. Thanking you, says uh, Michael. Thanks for that, Michael. And somebody else actually was on about Brexit when I mentioned what has come out this morning, and this the EU have issued um, a letter to the British government um, where they the letter was written by the President of the European Council and the Commission, and they're insisting there will be no renegotiation of the backstop. Uh, John contacted us, and he feels that the EU are using bully boy tactics against the United Kingdom. John's opinion, if any country wants to leave the EU, they should be allowed to leave. And he feels that the British government are being bullied by the EU. 1850 We're keeping a close eye on this story because we do know there is a vote there is, Theresa May is giving a speech to the House of Commons this afternoon and there's going to be a vote, uh, isn't there, even though all the political commentators are saying Theresa May will lose that vote. She hasn't a hope of winning it. Uh, and now it's to wait and see by how much she will lose the vote. So we certainly will have more to watch if your breaks are following this afternoon. Thank you, though, guys, for your comments on that. On slurry spreading, we've got some calls in this morning from different parts of the county about farmers spreading slurry with some people thinking are they doing it out of season just surely they're not allowed to be spreading slurry at the, at the, at the moment where we've checked and farmers are well within their rights farmers know the do's and the don'ts when it comes to the spreading of slurry farmers in Cork can spread slurry as and from yesterday the 13th of January. Other areas of the country have to wait until later on this week. And Northern Ireland actually farmers in Northern Ireland are not allowed to spread slurry until, until February but it is it, it is 
okay what the Cork farmers are doing they are allowed to uh, spread the slurry we were talking about somebody cutting grass earlier on and John and Cove got on to us to say he's just back in from cutting his own grass got on you John and he said it's a fourth year in a row that he has been cutting grass in December and into January we've no frosts or anything like that uh, but he said it's the first time he can in his lifetime that's four years in a row that he's been cutting has to continue cutting grass into December and into January. Normally you kind of get a bit of a respite from the cutting of the grass in December and January. I certainly haven't cut mine but I looked at it yesterday and by God it can do with a cut that's for sure. But John is just making the point it really does show how the seasons have changed. He said for example he saw a cherry blossom tree out in full bloom the other day and that certainly is a tad early and we are having we've had a very mild winter and there's nobody complaining about the mild winter and John you're right I do remember this time last year again talking about the wonderful mild winter and then of course we know what happened late February into March the beast from the east was in March when we were under that blanket of uh, snow and we quickly forgot about how mild the winter had been when we got this devastating spring so we've got to that's always at the kind of the back of my mind we don't know what's coming down the track at the moment we're enjoying the mild weather but bringing with it the mild weather it certainly is there are changes to the season and uh, I certainly have noticed the amount of the green on the daffodils that are out I don't know if anybody has any got a daffodil yet in flower certainly the leaves are well of well up above the ground than they normally are and that certainly is down to the mild weather and poor old nature doesn't know what's going on at the moment but there's John having spotted a cherry blossom tree in full bloom and certainly it's very very early for that 1850 John Paul taking your calls or if you'd like to text or WhatsApp you can to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie Donnerail Active Retirement Group They're returning for the new year This afternoon 3 o'clock In the local community centre New members are particularly welcome A talk on internet safety for children And protecting your online details Will be held uh, tonight in Drina Hall at 8 o'clock. Speakers include Linda Coughlin, Banks, Gardi, and it is a free event. Anam Cara, the West Cork branch, are holding a meeting tomorrow, Tuesday, in the new venue, which is the Munster Arms Hotel at 7.20. The meeting offers parents a safe and comfortable forum where they can connect with other bereaved parents who will understand the depth of their grief and loss. And Anam Cara... Uh, is for any parents who've lost a child whether it was recently or if it was many, many years ago. And Mitchellstown Operation Transformation, they are starting tomorrow, Tuesday at 7 o'clock in the Leisure Centre. It'll run every Tuesday and Thursday for seven weeks, all levels catered for and then the final couch to 5k will be on Saturday the 9th of March Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 and actually as I mentioned Operation Transformation I mentioned this at the top of the programme and, and I didn't there is a fantastic photograph on the front page of the uh, 
Irish Examiner taken by John Hennessy and the caption of the photograph is Sea of People and it is this most amazing photograph which has been taken in Yall of some of the participants who turned out on the Yall front strand for a fitness walk with Pamela Swan. Pamela Swan is from Yall and Pamela is one of the leaders in the TV show Operation Transformation and the walk was hosted by the Cork Sports Partnership in conjunction with the HSC Health Promotion Department and a number of local community organisations got involved and there literally it is a sea of people. It's a wonderful photograph taken of the All Front Strand and you can see the lovely strand that's there in Yall and then on the footpath snaking right the way up the hill in, in Yall is the sea of people with all their high-vis vests on it. It is a terrific photograph and it will give great encouragement to Pamela Swan from Yall to have the community behind her. We had great fun last year when we spoke with Wayne O'Donnell from Mallow and he had great support as well from local people in the North Cork area, Mallow in particular. So it looks like Pamela Swan is getting fantastic support from Yall and East Cork. And I know we've put out a feeler too. Uh, Pamela would love to hook up with Pamela and follow her in her journey on Operation Transformation. It's a terrific programme. Great to watch people and the efforts that they go to and how difficult it is to lose weight. And I always think, particularly those that go forward for a programme like this on TV, you know, where you're you really are exposing yourself warts and all and to be filmed, you know, just wearing underwear every single week when, you know, for people who have battled weight, many of them have battled weight, perhaps from childhood, teenage years, right into adulthood. Very brave and courageous people step forward to become the leaders for Operation Transformation and it's wonderful, wonderful to watch their journeys and at the very end uh, to see their success stories. So we wish the very best to Pamela Swan from you all but if you get a copy of the Irish Examiner today take a look at that front page uh, photograph. Well done to uh, John Hennessy. And actually John Paul has just told me when I mentioned Operation Transformation and Pamela Swan who is uh, from Yall, one of the leaders. Pamela is going to join us on the programme tomorrow so we will look forward to talking to uh, Pamela but I referenced it today because of that great photograph on the front of the examiner and actually when we're on about television programmes it's kind of this time of the year for these television programmes isn't it is there's the Operation Transformation and the other one that will carry us through for is it about 12 weeks it runs for is the Dancing with the Stars uh, one I managed on catch up to watch the guys who were on last Sunday and then last night of course it was the turn of the girls and while I was away John Paul tells me that young Demi from the Young Offenders star who is a doing her leaving cert in Davis College in Mallow. She actually joined John Paul in studio. She took to the dance floor last night and got help her. She got the lowest score of the night with the criticism that she needs, needs to practice more. And bless her heart, she took the criticism on board so, so well. And I was thinking, needs to practice more. She's got her, she's doing her leaving cert as well. And this morning, I hope her, she had a history examination on the 19th 16 Rising. I hope that that went well for her and I think she is you know she's taking on a lot because any of us that can remember doing our own Leaving Cert will know the pressure of it and today young people doing Leaving Certs when points are so important and getting into university is so important you would be thinking you'd be doing nothing else but studying and she's decided to get involved in this uh, show so well done to her on that and I thought she danced very very well she was doing the cha 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 uh, yesterday and of course her professional part partner is uh, Kai 
Widrington, is that how you pronounce his surname? And Kai was the partner last year for Anna Geary. So he's after getting another court contestant this year. So hopefully she'll do a bit better next week and she'll give it a raw because I felt she was very joyful and she was full of exuberance. And I think her youth very much shone through last night. And it's one of those competitions that really, goodness me, the amount of work that you have to put in. And while Demi is the youngest contestant, I don't know if, is she one of the oldest contestants on the other end of, end of the scale is uh, Eilish uh, O'Carroll. We've spoken with many, many times on this programme, Winnie from Mrs Brown's uh, Boys. She did remarkably well last night as well and, and uh, she got great uh, praise. So we wish them all the very best of luck and we'll keep a close eye on that. It's kind of our Sunday night viewing, is it not? Uh, that will take us into the brighter evenings and we can't wait for the brighter evenings. And we were talking about the seasons and how the seasons have changed and how we have much milder winters and sure the poor nature doesn't know what's going on. And I mentioned that the daffodils in my garden, that the greenery is up. I mean, no flowers yet, but a lot of greenery. That then led to a string of calls from people. Here's some of them. John in Ahakisha uh, near Mallow. Five weeks now they've had daffodils in the garden and John said he was chatting with the man on Saturday and the man was out working in the field and the man said that he was actually taking photographs of daisies and dandelions that were growing very strong in the Mitchellstown area and you normally don't get daisies and dandelions you normally don't get grass growth at this time of the year but yet we have it Eileen Murnaby was on to say in the last week daffodils are in flower in her garden John and Mallow there's daffodils growing near St Mary's Church in Mallow and they were there before Christmas says John isn't that uh, amazing what, what there was other calls in as well from the there seems to be a lot in the Mallow area uh, Ronnie was on to say our garden is full of daffodils at Annabella in Mallow I've noticed them in other gardens uh, as well John Ronnie says finds it, finds it hard to believe in January you normally never get the daffodils that early in uh, January uh, and Breda thank you Breda in Mallow is it just Mallow is it just the Mallow area has Mallow had a very mild anybody else getting daffodils Breathe in Mallow says my daffodils in bloom Patricia and she sent me in a photograph of her daffodils in full bloom happy new year to you many happy returns uh, Breathe and thank you for the photograph on WhatsApp another listener says we've snowdrops and daffodils uh, out already for the last two weeks so lovely spring is in the, in the air happy new year Patricia and many more to come welcome back thank you for that and many many happy returns Returns and certainly yet to see snowdrops and daffodils, there is that feeling that spring is in the air and the fact that the weather is so mild as well. We just need to get a little bit of a stretch in the evenings. The mornings are so dark, and they was just eight o'clock this morning. It was I felt like I needed to go back to bed, and with and I'm still. I'm still kind of on Australia time, you know, I'm still suffering the jet lag and it'll take a good week to get over that. And I'm waking and wide awake in the middle of the night and but staying in my bed. Uh, and then when I need to get up, I, need, I feel I need to be going back to bed. <laughs> so it'll take me a while. But uh, I just couldn't get over how dark it was this morning at eight o'clock. No darker than the other morning. It just, to me, on the first day back at work, seemed darker than normal. On the sign of peace. Texter says, I think that the sign of peace of mass is disgusting. That's kind of a strong word, isn't it? Hopefully the priest in Cora will continue not doing it in the future, says a texter who finds the whole issue of the sign of peace disgusting. 
Hi Patricia, you were talking before Christmas about a cream or a gel that you can use for shaking legs at night. Uh, kind regards, says Mike in Bantry. Can you can you remember? I, I'm assuming what you're talking about when we're talking about leg cramps at night. It was magnesium. You can take magnesium tablets, but I know when Annalise is on, she swears by magnesium gel. It's a gel or a cream that you get. And we had lots of people saying that they, they found it absolutely amazing and were taking on um, Annalise's advice on it. So it's magnesium. Magnesium cream or gel is what you are looking for. And a couple of people have picked up on the piece when I mentioned about the Culture Minister, Josephina Madigan, who is calling on the government. She feels that there should be a lower rate for local property tax in areas where they have the highest prices. And she, in particular, mentioned residents of South Dublin. That happens to be her constituency. And South Dublin is where the most expensive houses are. Typical, this is Anthony, typical Fine Gael policy uh, to help the better off in this country. Let her get a house in a working class area that will make it cheaper for her. The reason house valuation is increasing is because her party, Fine Gael, didn't build enough houses for years and they put the value on houses through the roof, says Anthony. So Anthony's not giving any sympathy at all to people who live in the very affluent areas of South Dublin and if property prices, if the local property tax goes up as is expected, it will. Uh, Anthony has no sympathy at all. And somebody else says, surely you know by now that politicians will only look after their own patch. If they can afford a big house, then they can surely afford to pay the full whack of the local property tax like the rest of us. This texter says, I am a pensioner and I worry about the rise of the property tax and you're not on your own. A lot of people are very worried about it. We don't know by how much and if it will go up at all. I mean, I think people are assuming it is going to go up. But if it's going up, how much will it go up by? And at the moment, it is all guesswork as to what it's going up. All we do know is that when the local property tax, when they set the valuation on the on the value of your property, when they, when they, when they set it, and then we were told it would remain in place, and it will be looked at again at the end of 2019. And it was one of those things we kind of pushed it. It was a good three years ago now, wasn't it? When that first got mentioned, kind of the can got pushed. We kicked the can down the street and said, sure, we'll worry about that in 2019. And in the blink of an eye, it's 2019. So it's meant to be later on this year before uh, a review is completed by the government. They're looking at the property rates at the moment and then they'll come back and decide but if everyone is to go back and revalue their house. We know our houses have gone up. But then what happens? How much more will we be paying on our local property tax? And you will have people on fixed in- incomes like that listener, a pensioner who lives on a set amount every year, no way of making any extra money and is already worried by how much the property tax is going to go up. 1850-333-103. And thank you, Mary in Dreamer League, to say we have daffodils in Dreamer League as well. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a listener says when we're talking about how mild it is and the daffodils and the snowdrops and somebody has uh, seen cherry blossom in full bloom. Hi Patricia, just on grass growth, I've just seen silage being raked in and being baled on the west side of Ballinine. It must be a first for uh, January. Thanking you from West Cork uh, listener. And hi Patricia, just on the topic of Operation Transformation 
Couch to 5K. The Drummer Han Road Runners Couch to 5K starts this evening. Quarter down at half past seven. Best of luck to everybody participating. And we've been asked to wish our own one and only Tim Coughlin a very happy birthday uh, today. That's from Joan and Co in um, Bantry. Jennifer O'Canahan uh, joins me on, on our nutrition slot for this week from nutritionforliving.ie. Good afternoon to you, Jennifer. Morning, Patricia. And How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the program. Today, we are discussing the topics of heartburn, indigestion, and acid uh, reflux. This is something that a lot of people suffer from, and many have a tendency just to kind of suffer in silence. Oh, 100%, Patricia. And it's something that I have suffered with through the years myself, you know, so I know exactly what people um, are, are feeling on you know, a daily basis in the, in the past. And what was uh, causing it for yourself? So for me, it was uh, hiatus hernia. Oh. So it was in my 20s that I had a lot of that acid reflux and bloating going on. And when I got it checked out, it was a, a hernia, a hiatus hernia. So um, I suppose at the time I wouldn't have been eating well. I would have been drinking more. I would have had stress from, from exams. So to kind of describe what actually it is, like a hiatus hernia for people, if you think of kind of the stomach and picture it like this J-shaped organ, and it's got these valves at e- either end of it, you know, because it's such an acidic environment in there that it has to protect, say, the, the esophagus from the acid getting back up. Um, and what happens then with the hiatus hernia, you know, is that it, the, the upper part of the stomach actually moves up into the chest through a small opening in the diaphragm. And then food can obviously then get back up or acid can get back up, which is causing that, that heartburn and that discomfort which ultimately it affects people's mood, it affects it affects people's energy, how you digest your food. So it's a lot more extensive, I think, than people give it credit for sometimes, you know. Yeah, it's a horrible, horrible feeling and sensation. It is, it is. My my best friend used to be Gaviscon and Ray years <laughs> ago, Patricia. <laughs> so. I, I remember when I was pregnant, getting very bad heartburn. Now, luckily, it disappeared after the pregnancy. And yeah. is that is that quite common? That would be very common as well because it's it's kind of a, an abdominal pressure, I suppose, that that's happening um, and causing that um, that muscle then to you know to just open up and let that uh, acid come back up in the in the stomach. So definitely, pregnancy, people being overweight as well um, would be would be a problem for people getting acid reflux. Obviously, foods and trigger foods, which we'll go through as well, can be can cause an issue. A lot of people have gastritis and that could be caused by an infection called um, Heliobacter pylori, which you'll hear kind of more and more people suffering yeah. from as well. And that's the, the one that you've got to take a really high strength, heavy dose antibiotic to get rid of. It is, yeah. It's a triple triple antibiotic, which is kind of uh, very strong for for people to, to take. So, And sometimes they have to go through two or three uh, rounds of it as well. So um, it is kind of fairly, fairly intensive. Um, and some get it from like the reflux disease, George, you hear as well. Um, and again, that can be just due to the dysfunction in that valve again, in that sphincter muscle um, on the top of the, the stomach, um, which is allowing that acid kind of come back up. And it doesn't matter. Some people say there's too much acid, but it doesn't matter if the, how much acid, any little bit of acid coming back up into your esophagus is going to be a problem because it's not protected up there like it is in your it is in your stomach so it is going to cause damage to that lining um, and, and sometimes actually 
going to a craniosacral therapist or chiropractor can can help if there is more of a dysfunction or something going on with the diaphragm and that as well that's actually aggravating it. Okay, so what are some of the things people can do? And I'm assuming there you, you mentioned trigger foods. There are foods you should eliminate. It, but but I be, would I be right in saying that a trigger food for me might be different for you? Yes, but like there's a common theme of okay. a number of foods, but definitely everyone can be a, an individual in this one and it can be a, a different food for you. And sometimes it's because of stress. So you had a stressful event and then you're eating a particular food afterwards and that can cause the, you know, the heartburn and that's why that might be a particular issue, issue for you. But a lot of the time it can be too many caffeinated drinks, coffee, teas, maybe things like Coke, um, because it can kind of maybe relax the, the sphincter muscle a little bit. So again, causing the, the acid to kind of come back up. So watching the amount maybe that you're drinking in the day of coffees and teas. Alcohol obviously is another one that causes reflux to, to a lot of people. So that one is definitely an issue. Chocolate also can be uh, can be one which we, we don't like to try and give up, but it definitely can be an issue as well. Uh, acidic foods as well, Patricia, for a lot of people, tomatoes, peppers um, can cause it, and citrus fruits, a uh, glass of orange juice, I remember, used to kill me before I would get severe heartburn after drinking um, orange juice as well. So grapefruits, lemons, uh, fruits like that can be a, can be an issue. And then, of course, the spicy foods, so your hot curries, your Indian-type foods, they're definitely a, a big issue for, for a lot of people as well. Somebody wants to know, can you suffer from shortness of breath with acid reflux? You can, yeah. Wow. Uh, absolutely. They, you know, because the, I suppose the, the, the feeling again that you're, that you're getting coming back up into your, into your chest, when you're getting that extra pressure that's coming back up into your chest can cause a, a problem and feel like you're, you're getting caught for breath. Mm. So a lot of people, I remember the first time when I was getting checked out, I was um, connected up to an ECG monitor, you know, because some people will think there's... Having a heart attack. With a heart, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, so would you always advise going to the doctor to get get a diagnosed first? Yes, definitely. Go to your doctor, get get it diagnosed, because you want to see how serious is this. Is it just kind of a, a, you know, a little bit of heartburn? That can be adjusted through your food, through your lifestyle, which I have done with a, a lot of my clients. Or is it something that's, you know, more serious? So definitely something to, to get checked out. You know, things as well, Patricia, like not eating a large meal before going to bed. That can, that can be a big trigger. Yeah, because you'll hear of some people who will talk about it when they lie down at night. Yeah. They can get the acid reflux and that usually is tied in with you eating too late. Eating too late, absolutely. So try and and the amount as well. The, the large meals can be an issue. Can be too much food can cause a pressure change in the stomach, and again, um, causing the the reflux, acid reflux, to come back up the esophagus. So reducing maybe the size of the meals, the time that you're eating before you're going to bed, uh, wearing things that are too too tight over your stomach. Sometimes the belt too tight or um, tight stockings that are kind of coming up over your, your stomach, that all can kind of exert pressure upward on the stomach as well. So minding uh, that side of things, or even eating too fast, just to yeah, maybe slow, down, slow down, slow down. And then supplements and herbs, uh, to finish up with uh, Jennifer, what would you advise? Yeah, so again, as I say, a lot can be done through diet, losing weight, you know, managing stress as well. 
but for things that I have found helpful with myself and clients in the past, slippery elm powder is really good. You make it up like into a gravy consistency and that just coats the lining of the esophagus nicely. It's a mucilage coating and kind of quenches that fire. So that acts quite nicely. BioCare do a slippery elm intensive, which kind of has an aloe vera and a licorice and all that in there as well. So again, that supports the integrity of the of the gut, um, which is all really important. The Vogel brand do some nice ones. Centarium um, is a good one around hiatus hernia. It's a stomach bitter, so that's quite good. Or they also do a digestin for indigestion relief, which has nice dandelion and artichoke and that in it as well. Okay, so the message is don't suffer in silence because help is available. All right, we leave it there, Jennifer. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. And you can check out, uh, that's uh, Jennifer O'Callaghan, you can check out Jennifer's website nutritionforliving.ie and the four as in the number four, nutritionforliving.ie and congratulations to the students of St. Aloysius College in Carrick Tuhill. They had the amazing win of Best Group Award in the Young Scientist Exhibition at the weekend. And uh, congratulations there. And there were students from Colossia Trassa in Cantorc who we've been asked uh, to say they won a number of awards at the BT Young Scientist Competition and well done to them as well. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We'll be back with you with Tuesday's edition of the programme tomorrow. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. today With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.